Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday night. It is October the 1st, 2021, and I am happy that you're here. I'm happy I'm here. I'm actually happy that I'm anywhere. Goodness gracious, what a week it has been. Uh, And it seems as though every week um, I say to myself, it can't get worse. And then I remember what my dad wisely uh, told me when I was a teenager growing up in Brooklyn. He said, Mike, nothing is so good that it couldn't be made better or be so bad that it couldn't get worse. And it just seems as though every week we find a way to get worse. And so here we are, um, and and God only knows where this juggernaut is ultimately going to lead us. But the real bottom line is that we as Americans need to sit down with our neighbors and we need to confront reality. Now, the opponents of freedom, The people that are cashing out our country can be found in both parties. Um, I'm a regular on a number of radio shows, and I know in one particular program some people were upset because I was hammering away at George W. Bush, and I always make the point about how Ronald Reagan gave us the first amnesty and the visa waiver program and the diversity visa and never hired more agents and intended to actually vilify civil servants telling everybody that America's civil servants were overpaid and underworked. And I have to tell you, I remember those days. It was infuriating. My first wife, may she rest in peace, heard that statement over dinner. We were watching a news report. She literally threw a slipper at the TV. She was furious because she knew that my colleagues and I were putting in hours you wouldn't believe. And we didn't get paid extra money for it. We did it because it was required much the way the military uh, doesn't have a time clock. You don't punch out in the middle of a battle. And if we would arrest somebody, even if we were already on duty 15 hours, and the guy would say, let's, play, let's make a deal, I know where you can find guns or drugs or a fugitive, you can't let that kind of information sit around because that person's going to move. Once he knows his friend is arrested and he knows that his friend knows about his whereabouts, he's going to run. So as soon as we heard that, we made sure we didn't let the guy we arrested make a phone call, and we would run to the U.S. attorney, and we'd say we need a warrant, and we'd go to the magistrate, and we'd get a warrant, and we'd execute the warrant. It wasn't just sitting at a desk. You know, we were, we were flying into, into another potential combat situation. Yes, we had to get this guy off the street. We had to get the drugs and the weapons off the street. Now, I didn't mind doing it. But when our commander-in-chief talks about how easy we have it and how we are overpaid for doing not much work, demoralizing. And it angered me. And it still angers me. And the politicians who write the laws and put the agents in harm's way just as they put the military in harm's way should show some damn respect for those of us who carry out the mission. Simple request. Simple request. Show respect to the people under your command. And I'm so tired of people say, I support law enforcement. <clears throat> and we're talking now about politicians. And of course, it's not going to happen much on the Democrat side. Defund the police, sure thing. Let's fire the Border Patrol, wonderful. But even on the Republican side, we support police. Uh, how much do you want to pay them? As little as possible. Uh, what do you think of their pensions? They shouldn't have any. You support people with more than your mouth. maybe we would do better if we were willing to pay more to get the best best possible qualified men and women for those critical jobs. Uh, They're entitled to that paycheck. I am so tired of this nonsense about um, the the, the class distinctions that are made by both parties. You know, when I was a kid, people say, why are you a Democrat? The Democrat Party used to be the party of blue-collar America, of union workers. My dad was a union member. He was a construction worker, a plumber, a tradesman. Um, 
the Democrat Party used to look out for the tradesmen. That's when America made sense. That's when America and Americans are doing well. And within the last couple of decades, what we've been hearing is how America will only lead if we bring in the world's best and brightest. I have to tell you, any politician who can say that needs to be removed. I was listening to Hannity yesterday, and we hear this a lot from the so-called conservative side. And I, I thought I might start out today by just giving you my perspective, because we're going over the same disaster that we have with Biden and what I see as corruption and malfeasance. There's no other way to describe what's happening. But I want you to understand where I'm coming from, so perhaps when you speak to your neighbors, they'll be able to better understand the situation, because I want you to know how I think. Yesterday, I believe it was, Sean Hannity said, we need to have people come to America legally. They need to register. We need to do a check to make sure they're not on terror watch list. And we need to know they don't have COVID. And we need to know that they can support themselves. He left out something very critical. But that seems to be typical of the so-called conservative side of the equation. They need to be able to support themselves. So if they work, it's okay. How about if they work and take the jobs that Americans should have? One of the provisions of the Immigration and Nationality Act bars aliens from working in the United States unless they're coming in as the immediate relative of a lawful immigrant or a United States citizen. Obviously, they have to work. <clears throat> but to get a work visa, you cannot do that if it can be shown that there are Americans who are ready, willing, and able to do that sort of work in that geographic location. The Labor Department used to run the Immigration Service. That was the case up until the beginning of the Second World War when suddenly President Roosevelt and the rest of our government recognized that immigration had severe national security implications. Fascinating story. It's on the FBI website how Coast Guardsmen on Long Island saw some Nazis come ashore from a U-boat. He called the FBI. They came down, arrested them. It turned out that they were here to sabotage America. They were going to blow up a bunch of facilities. We call it terrorism today. Back then it was called sabotage. Because America at that point was helping Great Britain in its war against Germany. And we were using trains to bring war materials into New York and other areas along the coastline to be put on ships to be sent off to Europe. And that's when the Nazi U-boats, the wolf packs, were out there <clears throat> destroying our, our ships because they didn't want those supplies to get to Great Britain. And then the Nazis had this epiphany, and they said, well, how about if we put the rail, uh, the trains out of business? So in the basement of Grand Central Station, there was a fascinating report about it. It used to be top secret, were inverters that converted AC uh, electricity to DC. Uh, so the trains, I believe, ran on DC. And if you could take out those... Um, inverters, the trains would stop running. They wouldn't even have anything getting to the shipyard in the first place to be loaded onto ships. And something similar happened in Florida. More Nazis trying to enter the United States to commit sabotage. There were concerns on the West Coast about Japanese saboteurs coming to the United States. And they said, gee whiz, we have to reorganize our government to protect us because there's a war. And just as we did with DHS, they moved immigration from the Labor Department, where its mission was to protect jobs and wages of Americans to the Justice Department because of national security implications. But Labor Department has always been an important concern for immigration law enforcement. And that's why, up until about 15 years ago, the Democrats were ad adamant about it. Bernie Sanders, in 2006, pounded the podium and stood there with the leaders of the AFL-CIO and said, anybody who hires illegal aliens should be prosecuted you're stealing jobs, and you're destroying wages from middle-class American workers. It's anti-American, and we need to do something about it. And everybody cheered. Harry Reid, Harry Reid, stood before the Senate as a brand-new senator and said it's crazy that we give citizenship to the children of illegal aliens, and we give them welfare, and we give them all kinds of aid. They're here illegally. Who in their right mind would give illegal aliens anything they should leave? I'm not quoting him precisely, but you get the gist. We heard something similar from all the Democrats because the concern was the negative impact that an army of foreign workers were having on jobs and wages for Americans. I remember back in junior high and high school, we studied the labor movement. 
Walter Ruther and all the rest of the organizers who, who helped you know, working Americans. And when there were strikes carried out by American workers, Pinkerton came in and cracked skulls back then to break up the strikes, and the employers frequently brought in replacement workers, and those replacement workers were given the ugly name of scab labor, scab labor. And that was because they were in support of working Americans and in support of the labor unions. We hear all this business about the labor unions. Most of the labor unions are thrilled to have illegal aliens join them because they don't care about that anymore. Their only concern is to get more members, which gives them political leverage, and more dues, which gives them money. Money and power. That's all it's about, folks. Money and power. Governing under the influence of money and power. Politicians, labor unions, you name it. There are a couple of unions that still hold to the principles, and God bless them. But I remember when we used to raid sweatshops here in New York, and most of them have since been moved offshore, but back then, if you if you went into the garment district, and my mom, may she rest in peace, came here as a little girl from Poland. I've spoken about her frequently. Lived by herself in a rooming house at the age of 13. Imagine, 13, couldn't speak the language on her own, and supported herself at 13 by working at a sweatshop making umbrellas for $3 a week and still tried to send a few cents to her mother back in Poland every week until her mother told her, don't do that. They're stealing the money out of the envelopes at the post office. Well, my mother's mother was the woman that I was named for because she could not get out of Poland, and because we're Jewish, she was slaughtered by the Nazi bastards, along with a lot of other relatives of mine, and 6 million Jews, and altogether 13 million people slaughtered by the Nazi war machine. And now we hear about Antifa, the anti-fascists. If you really want to know who the anti-fascists are, I'll tell you who they are. It was the members of the armed forces of the United States of America and our allies. They were the true anti-fascists, anti-for my backside. But in any event, the garment center was loaded with illegal aliens. And very often they had them working the night shift. They figured they would be less likely to be discovered. That's why we need interior enforcement. People say to me, well, if we had mandatory E-Verify, this whole problem would go away. Nobody would hire illegal aliens. And, boy, that's kind of naive. That's like saying that people aren't going to cheat on their taxes well, people try not to generally because they know that the IRS has auditors and there are consequences for cheating. And we're going to talk about the IRS momentarily because apparently Mr. Biden wants to double the amount of money and the number of agents assigned to the Internal Revenue Service, even as illegal aliens are being enticed, encouraged, aided, and abetted to enter our country in violation of our laws, specifically Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1324. You ought to look it up. It's an interesting section of law. It talks about harboring and shielding. Uh, it talks about basically what sanctuary cities do and basically what the, what the Biden administration is doing. But the point was immigration went to the Justice Department because it was understood to be a critical element of national security. After 9-11, we moved immigration to the Department of Homeland Security. But it was done in such a way by George W. Bush that he made damn sure that this was only cosmetic. You cut immigration in half. I've spoken about it before. I won't waste your time. But just suffice to say, it was never supposed to be separate customs and border protection and ICE immigration and customs enforcement. And in fact, uh, beyond that, they weren't supposed to fold in customs and agriculture and TSA and all those other agencies. It was supposed to simply be immigration. This was done to undermine border security and the enforcement of the immigration laws. So it was no shock to me when the brilliant George W. Bush, America's answer to Alfred E. Newman, could turn around and say that the Republicans who want secure borders are nativists. Nativists. Wow. If ever there was a jackass statement, there it is. You know what? I have a confession, ladies and gentlemen. I am a nativist. What do you think of that? I am a nativist, and I'm proud of it. Because if you look up nativist, it simply means a person who puts the citizens of his or her country ahead of the immigrants. Not based on race, not based on religion, not based on ethnicity. Simply saying that if you're an American citizen, you should get first shot. We as Americans say the pledge to the flag and to the republic for which it stands, it's time that our government set a pledge of allegiance to we the people. Novel idea. I had written about it. I know that some of uh, Trump's staffers read my pieces, 
And in fact, if you remember, in his inaugural address, President Trump made that same point. He said that he pledged his allegiance to the American people. Now, I didn't always agree with Donald Trump, but he really did follow through. He had this list of what he called promises made, promises kept. Look at Biden's list. All the lies that he spewed, all the promises made, promises broken. I don't think he's kept a single promise. He should have promised to screw up America. Then he would have been getting a gold star. This is a disaster. It's a catastrophe. So I I, I look at where we are. I look at the lies and the nonsense being spewed. And we have a president now in in the Oval Office who is working night and day to undermine border security, national security, public health, public safety, the jobs and wages of Americans. Whatever happened to the old Democrat Party that stood up for the American worker? You can't be standing up for the American worker when you flood America with an army of foreign workers. It's just that simple. And now what's so remarkable is that there are people in this country, in the Democrat Party, who are saying that they want to go to the State Department to arrange visas to bring nurses into the United States If they have to fire nurses who refuse to take the vaccine, they want to have an ample supply of alien foreign workers on hand to swiftly get rid of the Americans and take their place. My gosh, it takes my breath away. Think back to Walter Ruther and all the other leaders, Samuel Gompers, and they would have referred this as scab labor. And who's leading the charge? The Democrat Party. I'm a registered Democrat. I'm outraged. I'm infuriated. I am sickened to my stomach. This isn't the Democrat Party. They're masquerading. They're they're using a name that they don't deserve. This is not the Democrat Party. They need a new name, you know, because they certainly aren't the Democrats that I signed up with when I first began voting decades ago when I was back in college. The old Democrat Party, boy, oh, boy, JFK and Harry Truman and Scoop Henry Jackson and Hubert Humphrey, they'd be pinwheeling in their graves if they knew what this Democrat Party is doing. But it all comes down to the cowards who run the party. Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, the biggest cowards I've ever seen in my life. They are live chickens. I can hear them clucking even now. If they had real courage, they would have stood up to the lunatic fringe of their party and said to them, you're out of your mind and we're not going to abide by it. Instead, they're kowtowing because they're scared to death that they might lose that position of power. Nancy, you're 81. Time's growing short. The shadows are getting longer. The day is almost over. Go out with some damn dignity. I've never seen such cowardice or selfishness in my life. I mean, think of Nancy when COVID first hit, standing in front of her $26,000 refrigerator, pointing to her expensive, exclusive, crafted ice cream, the ice queen, pointing to her ice cream. American families were going to bed hungry that night. People didn't know how they were going to feed their children. But there's that image of the ice queen with her ice cream showing off. It took my breath away. At least have the brains to not rub it in, to stick your thumb in the eye of the people who thought you represented, that you represented them. Breathtaking. It's ugly. It's disgusting. It takes courage to stand up and say, this is where I stand. Uh, there are guys who went with me when I went to Senator Al D'Amato to change the reentry law to make it a 20-year felony. There are guys I work with who said, you're out of your mind. You're going to a senator. You're going to get jammed up. They're going to get you. And once again, I fell back on my dad's wise words. You know, I lost both of my parents to cancer when I was in college. I've been on my own since I was 21. But I still stand on my parents' shoulders. And my dad was a real man. Lots of toxic masculinity. You know what that's about, Right. And he said to me, Mike, a real man has to stand for something. And the only person who will be able to intimidate you is the person that you permit to intimidate you. But I'm sure that Nancy and Chuck 
didn't have that kind of a moral-based upbringing because if they did, they certainly wouldn't be acting the way they are. It's infuriating. That's not leadership. And what they need to understand is that when the mob is running behind you and you're running for your life, you're not leading. You're running scared. Running scared is not the same as leadership. Nancy, at your age, Chuck, at your age, you can't run that much faster. They're going to run right over you, and it's coming. If it doesn't happen next month or in three months or in a year, it will happen. The time is growing short. Show some dignity. Show some, some New York chutzpah. Stand up and say, no, you're not going to do this to our country. What legacy will you leave behind? The destruction of the middle class, the destruction of America's sovereignty, the destruction of the future of American children? I'm so tired of all this talk about social justice. If you're that concerned about social justice and you think it's unfair that a disproportionate number of blacks or people of color get arrested, why don't we look at the situations in which these people grow up? Children who come from broken homes, living in abject poverty. I've been in those buildings. I'm sure Chuck and Nancy would never walk into those buildings. They'd probably be too scared because they're chickens. Again, they're clucking. I hear them. I can hear the clucking. Listen carefully. You can hear it. We were out there making arrests in all sorts of neighborhoods, wealthy neighborhoods, poverty-ravaged neighborhoods. Will you walk into a building and you see rats running along the floors? Will you see rat droppings on the floors and broken windows and bullets whizzing by outside, the level of violence unbelievable, kids living in, 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 in buildings with no heat in the wintertime, no air conditioning in the summertime. When a child grows up in that environment, the question isn't what would that child be willing to do to get out of that grinding poverty. The actual question should be what wouldn't they be willing to do, and all too frequently the way things now stand in America the only way out of poverty for those children is to become involved in criminal activity, which immediately puts them at odds with law enforcement. Because when I grew up and I saw that police officer in that big blue suit with that big shiny badge on his chest, and most police officers back then when I was a kid were men, not women, but it certainly applies to women as well. So when I saw that police officer, I saw a friend. I saw someone I could trust. I saw someone that I could go to for help if I was in trouble. But when you have kids growing up in a neighborhood where there are no jobs, where there are no possibilities, where they're third, fourth, fifth generation welfare recipients, when their mole models haven't worked, their value system is skewed. Their perspective on life, instead of being filled with excitement of what will the future be. I remember as a kid, that was before the Disney company went off and fired American workers to replace them with foreign workers. So I don't do anything that has anything to do with Disney, frankly. But back then on Sunday nights, Walt Disney came on. I believe it was right after or right before. I think it was right before the Ed Sullivan show, if you remember those days, those of you old enough. And I always looked forward to Tomorrowland because tomorrow was always going to be better than today. I was looking forward to watching Werner von Braun talk about going to the moon, and I dreamed of being an aerospace engineer, and I did a little single-engine flying as a kid. I got letters from the astronauts, and two of my kids are now engineers. I had planned to be an engineer. It didn't work out that way. But this talk about tomorrow and new exciting technology and boundless possibilities really fired me up, fired up all of my friends. We were all excited to watch Tomorrowland. But when you're living in grinding poverty, where there's no certainty about if you're going to be able to eat tomorrow. Tomorrow isn't a place of excitement. It's a place of intrepidation and fear. If you really want social justice, we should be looking at the way children, American children, are growing up in America today with a sense of dread and hopelessness. And when you import foreign workers, who take those bottom-rung jobs that most kids used to take so they would have that first job for their resume. Because if you think back to when we were all children, you wanted that first job because you needed to have an entry on a resume to get a better job. But the conundrum was you can't get a job without a resume, and without a job, 
there is no resume. And when we bring in an army of foreign workers to do the jobs that traditionally were done by American children, that first job may not be so easy to get. The idea that you could earn a paycheck may evaporate. And so you wind up with American kids today thinking that communism and socialism might be the answer. They were never taught what communism is really about. I've spoken about this before. You know, there's only two ways to motivate people and our pets. I don't care if it's a dog or a horse. If you're trying to train an animal, you have only two ways to do it. You can do it with the carrot or the stick. And I can tell you that you should always use the carrot, especially with pets and with children too. You know, spare the rod, right? But the problem is that under socialism, everyone gets the same paycheck no matter what they're doing or how hard they work. So there is no carrot. There is no reward for success. So under that system, the only way you motivate people is through the fear of violence or a negative action. Fear. And it's remarkable that Nancy Pelosi went to Mexico City shortly after 9-11 and railed against immigration law enforcement and said that immigration agents were creating a climate of fear and terror in the immigrant communities, equating, I guess, ICE agents with terrorists. It enraged me. By the way, you're not going to hear her saying that when they hire all those new IRS agents to go after American citizens. They're not going to say they're creating this climate of fear. They're saying, oh, we want to make sure we have compliance. Compliance. Well, why couldn't she say that about immigration? Because Nancy Pelosi understood that if you destroy the middle class and you make it all but impossible for Americans to support themselves without government assistance, that you drive everybody to the left. Again, going back to my dad's sage words, he said, Mike, if you want to turn a capitalist into a communist, take away his money. Very simple. Inflation is taking away the money. You think you're making enough money, and then you buy a gallon of gas or a gallon of ice cream or a gallon of milk, and suddenly you realize you don't have enough money. You have too much wheat at the end of your check, so to speak. Now add to that the people that they're going to fire for not taking the vaccine, and the list goes on. So the economy crashes, and everybody needs to go to the government for help. And America is no longer America. That's what happened to Venezuela. Venezuela used to be the wealthiest, most amazing country in all of Latin America. It's now the poorest country because of communism. So this is about controlling the American people because these people are the ultimate control freaks. They want to play, Simon says, with consequences. And that was why I wrote an article wherein I said that um, I'm trying to see if I have the – well, I I actually don't have it on on my website today. I should have added it. There was another article that I had written, For the Democrats to Succeed, Americans Must Fail. You could look it up at Front Page Magazine. I hope you will after the program. For the Democrats to succeed, Americans must fail. And I talked about Alan Greenspan talking about basically the destruction of middle-class high-tech wages through the importation of an army of foreign workers. This is about destroying the wage structure for Americans so that everybody becomes dependent on the government. These politicians aren't representing Americans. This isn't about Abraham Lincoln's lofty view of a country that had a government that was of the people, by the people, and for the people. These politicians don't care about governance. They care about power. That's not representation, and that's not governance. This is about control. If they were really concerned about the American people, they certainly wouldn't be allowing aliens into the country in record numbers who were sick and unvaccinated while threatening to take action against Americans who refuse to be vaccinated, maybe for good reason. Besides religious reasons, it may well be that there are medical reasons which would make it unwise or dangerous for someone to take the vaccine. But the Biden administration doesn't care about that. They don't care about children who are being gunned down in the street because of the defund police nonsense and the fact that cops have been intimidated by their own employers, the government. Look at Biden standing there wagging that crooked finger of his at the Border Patrol. 
You will pay a price for what? Securing the border? See, as I've written in other articles, the border has become, or the immigration system has become a delivery system to Joe Biden and the globalists like George W. Bush and all the rest of them. That was why I believe they hated Donald Trump so much. Now, I didn't always agree with Donald Trump, and some of his business practices left me shaking my head. I'll be honest with you. But there was no doubt in my mind that Donald Trump was focused on protecting America and Americans, putting Americans first. And every time he spoke, especially when he spoke at the U.N., he used the dreaded S word, and it really riled up all the globalists. That S word had them shaking in their boots and running to the bathroom so they could toss their cookies. You do know what the S word is, don't you? Sovereignty. Sovereignty. So we defunded the police, and whether they defund them or not, they've done something else. They've demoralized law enforcement, haven't they? And at the end of the day, Law enforcement officers go on duty to do their sworn duty to live up to their oath of office, unlike most politicians. But they also do it because they have families to support. So what rational law enforcement officer is going to go out there and do his or her job knowing that it's likely to get them fired, suspended, sued, or prosecuted, if not killed, or badly injured? It's a no-win situation. Back when I was an agent, we had a simple expression that explained it all. We used to say, big cases, big problems. Little cases, little problems. No cases, no problems. And if you want to keep a low profile, because you don't want to draw fire, you don't want to call it an airstrike on your own position, then you do the least amount of work possible. If you don't make an arrest, you don't have a confrontation, then you don't have to worry about somebody making a false claim against you. Very simple. Big cases, big problems. Little cases, little problems. No cases, no problems. So I was on the Bell Parkway today in Brooklyn. My gosh, when I was a kid, I dreamed of racing. I felt as though I had realized my dream today because we had people on the Bell Parkway going 90 miles an hour, weaving through traffic, tailgating, and I had the radio on. And I was listening to where the traffic was and where the accidents were. And it was accident after accident after accident after accident after accident. And you know why? Because there were no police out. It was a free-for-all. So you had some people driving at 20 miles an hour in the left lane, probably with no license. But again, no cops out there to see why this guy is driving 20 miles an hour and can't hold a steady lane. Is he drunk? Is he high? Is the car not in good mechanical condition? Is he unlicensed or she? You can apply both, right? And you add to that the lunatics going 90 miles an hour weaving through traffic as though it was a video game run amok. Why? No consequences for what they were doing. And we have accident after accident. It's tragic. On the way home, there was a really bad crash, a body lying in the road, two cars completely mangled, the airbags deployed, fire engines on the scene, first responders helping people who were badly injured because there's no consequences to driving like a lunatic anymore unless you hit something. And then, of course, it's a whole other story. This isn't the way society is supposed to work. Heroes have gone to zero overnight. The first responders were the heroes, and then they decided, for whatever reason, we need chaos and carnage in the streets. Why? So we can justify martial law down the road? I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what's, what's the plan B after all this. The murder rate is through the roof. Violent crimes through the roof. People don't feel safe at night. Why? Well, because the police have been intimidated. They've been de- defanged and detoothed. So the bad guys now control the streets. It's the wild, wild west. Except in the wild, wild west, people had guns. Now only the criminals have guns. Law-abiding citizens don't have guns, but the criminals do because they know nothing will happen to them. But you see, law-abiding citizens try to play by the rules. The problem is their adversaries don't. Now that's where law enforcement is supposed to come in, the thin blue line. Well, there is no thin blue line. It's gone. So you have chaos, you have anarchy, you have violence. Brave new world. Wow. 
And meanwhile, Americans don't know what in the world to make of what's happening. We are going the wrong way on a one-way street, and we're picking up speed. And we, the people, need to make a point of discussing what is happening with our neighbors, and we need to hold the politicians accountable. This has been done by design. There's no other way of explaining it. It makes no sense to have criminals running amok to release criminals from jail in the name of social justice. What kind of social justice is there when we're burying ever more people who have nothing to do with criminal activity, including little children? Look at what's going on in Chicago. Look what's going on in New York. Look what's going on in Los Angeles and San Francisco. Is this the American dream? Now, on top of that, we have a problem because we have for quite some time had a serious issue with who rises to leadership positions in our government, and that really is the problem. You know, when I was a kid, there was a wonderful Yiddish expression my mother used to use all the time, and it says when you translate it from Yiddish to English, when the fish goes bad, it smells from the head. And it's no secret that I frequently quote the 9-11 Commission report because, in, in point of fact, um, I gave testimony to the 9-11 Commission. And in my most recent article, and, and the link is up on, on the Blog Talk Radio website, Biden con man and chief voiced absurdities on Americans, I included the first paragraph in the preface of what is known as the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel. This is an official government report that was authored by the federal agents and attorneys who worked for the 9-11 Commission. And and so this is how it starts out, because the commission realized right off the bat that immigration was the key issue, which is why I was so furious at George W. Bush for creating DHS in such a way where he made it impossible to enforce the laws that secure the borders. That's what he wants. That's why the Republicans wouldn't pay for a border wall. And be clear, the border wall doesn't stop people from entering the United States. It stops them from trespassing on the United States. If the point to the wall was to prevent entry from Mexico, you know, we kept hearing Germany had a border wall. Right, sure. Well, the border wall in Germany was designed to keep people in, not to keep people out. Our border wall makes certain that people would go through ports of entry so they could be vetted and screened. And, by the way, I, I want to finish that thing about Hannity because I don't want to get off the air and then realize I, I, I didn't finish my thought about what as Sean Hannity said. So he he said we need to make sure that these people can work and that they've been vetted, that they're not terrorists, they're not associated with terrorists. The terror watch list is only a very limited use. Most terrorists are not at any terror watch list. Of course, there are some who are, and then we can act easily. But it is a daunting challenge to figure out who all the terrorists are, because very often, if you'll notice, the terrorists are always in their 20s, or almost always. They're ideologically pure. When you're young, you see things in absolutes. You always say, always, never, can't be, and so forth. When you get older, you start to say, not likely, maybe not, could be, we're not sure. But young kids are all fired up, and they're loaded up with with testosterone and emotions, and they're ready to rock and roll at a moment's notice. You don't see too many people in their 70s having fistfights. Maybe it's because they're too arthritic anyway. But how many times do you see some 20-year-olds going at it? because you're filled with all this testosterone and hormones. And, and if you can channel that, you can get them to do crazy things for you. And that's what you're seeing with the terrorists. But the other thing about them being that young is there's no track record. We don't know who they are. Sleeper agents are people who keep a low profile so you don't identify them. Simply because someone's not on a, on a terror watch list doesn't mean he's not a terrorist or she's not a terrorist. So that's item one. Item two, Sean Hannity, again, ignored the fact that people coming here to work and displacing Americans is not good. Not good. But for conservatives, I guess it's good because it keeps the wages of corporations down, which means that they get to make more profit. Um, so we've got to understand that. And, and, and that's an important issue. Because this notion, well, if they can support themselves, we should admit them. If they're supporting themselves by taking the jobs that should go to an American, that's outrageous. I'm tired of this nonsense, folks. And we've got to think clearly. So just something for you to think about when I hear the, you know, we're strong on immigration enforcement. You know, we don't want them on welfare. We want them working. No, we don't want them at all. If you're coming here to work and you're going to take a job from an American, stay home. 
The American needs the job. Stand up for our fellow Americans. It's infuriating. It's both sides of the aisle. That's why the Republicans started this open borders crap in the first place. Call it out for what it is. I don't care who I offend. You know, if I'm not offending somebody, I'm probably not doing the right thing. You can't make an omelet without breaking eggs, you know. But the preface, and I've quoted it frequently, and I was looking at it the other day, and I had an epiphany. I I want to read this first paragraph, and I want you, this is a mind experiment. I wish I could talk to you one-on-one. So I'm going to talk, and you're going to imagine your response to me. I'm going to read this paragraph, and I want you to think about what might be wrong with the paragraph. Listen carefully. This is, again, the preface from the official report, 9-11 and Terrorist Travel, the staff report of the National Commission on Terrorist Attacks upon the United States. Here's the paragraph. It is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the United States if they are unable to enter the country. Yet prior to September 11, while there were efforts to enhance border security, no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. Indeed, even after 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa and gaining admission into the United States, border security still is not considered a cornerstone of national security policy. We believe for reasons we discuss in the following pages that it must be made one. You hear something crazy in that statement? Let me read the first two sentences because it, it kind of makes the point that I'm, I'm getting at. It is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the United States if they're unable to enter the country. Yet prior to September 11, while there were efforts to enhance border security, no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. How in the world could the leaders of agencies that were involved in counterterrorism and national security not get the point that to prevent an attack, you've got to keep the attacker out of the damn country? Just let that sink in, the enormity of that simple statement. If the police made an announcement in your community, we have a problem at night with people who are home invaders and burglars seeking to break into houses, would you lock your door? Simple statement. Or would you leave the doors and windows wide open and say, well, what are you going to do? I think you'd lock the door. I think you might actually go to a hardware store and buy a better lock to put on your door. Who the hell was running our agencies that prior to September 11th No agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. And now we get to Joe Biden, Mr. Open Doors. By the way, there was a prayer they found in the baggage that didn't make it onto the airplane of a couple of the terrorists that they prayed to Allah to open all doors and all venues for them, all doors. Metaphorically, we did. We allowed them into the United States of America And how many people died, and the world and America was transformed perhaps forever. Open all doors for us. Who is running these agencies? How do we select these lame brains? Your breath away. And there's Joe Biden saying there's no problem on the border, and they bring in Alejandro Mayorkas. I just spoke about this on Newsmax TV. I'm pleased to do their programs. Nobody censors me over there. I get to speak my mind. What a novel thought. I love the song, What is America to Me, or The House I Live in, that Sinatra did, it has two titles. The right to speak your mind out, that's America to me. Not so much anymore, folks. You know, you're going to get trigger warnings. You're going to be told it's hate speech. Don't you dare speak your mind. While everybody worried about the Second Amendment, the First Amendment seems to have evaporated. Incredible. So Joe Biden did everything backwards, and if you heard the generals out there, Biden lied or the generals lied, it's one or the other. Meanwhile, there is a, a Marine Corps officer who is in solitary confinement is simply going public and saying there needs to be accountability for the fiasco that occurred in Afghanistan. He's now in jail. Sounds like a page right out of crime and punishment from, Nazi, from uh, communist 
Russia. How dare you suggest that there be accountability in the chain of command? This is madness. Now, I know the army or the military likes to say we're here to defend democracy, not practice it. But you put a career officer in solitary for the simple statement that there needs to be accountability over what happened? And now they're going to double the IRS. And what worries me about the IRS is it could become the secret police. Think about Richard Nixon with his political enemies list. He was going to, use, he was going to weaponize the Internal Revenue Service. And that was when we were no longer as immigration agents allowed to go to the Internal Revenue Service to look at tax returns to see if people were working illegally and so forth. They had to be walled off after it was discovered that Richard Nixon was going to weaponize the Internal Revenue Service. Well, it looks like it's Richard Nixon's uh, dream come true with Biden if he gets his way. He wants to double the number of IRS agents. Who could ever forget Lois Lerner pleading the fifth when she went before a hearing and, and she was able to still retire with a pension. I know when I got my badge as a new agent, I believe it was day one, they said, look at that badge, understand something. You have not lost your rights under the Constitution. You still have the Fifth Amendment and all the other protections that you had before. But if you invoke the Fifth Amendment when you're under oath being questioned about your official actions as an agent, you're going to have to turn that badge over because you can't get away with that. If you have to plead the Fifth, which means you're not accounting for what you did or did not do, your career is over. It's remarkable that that did not happen for Lois Lerner. It's remarkable that conservative groups could not get their applications approved as nonprofit organizations, so they were dead in the water to shut them up. Anybody who cheats on taxes should face consequences. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying to you. But if the law is not applied uniformly, then we have a problem. If the powers that be say, well, Joe Smith is a liberal and he supports our agenda, so we're going to ignore his mistakes, quote-unquote mistakes. But this other guy, Bob Smith, ah, he's on the other side. Ah, this must have been intentional. Let's go arrest him. I fear that this could happen. I've never seen our government turn inward the way it is. DHS said that the biggest threat we face from terrorism is from white supremacists and, and radical Americans radicalized Americans, even as the generals are warning that the terrorists in the Middle East may be coming to the United States, there was nothing in the terror alert from DHS that talked about border security or the issuance of visas, which played a prominent role, by the way, in the 9-11 Commission report. I know. I contributed to the report. It was all about look out for those Americans. Now, what's also interesting is if you read 1984, you will find out that the poor people in 1984 were kept occupied and happy with, with booze, drugs, pornography, whatever it took to distract them. The middle class, however, suffered extreme surveillance because it was recognized that it was the middle class who likely had the education, understood the way they were being screwed, and would be frustrated at their treatment at the hands of their own government. So they face the toughest scrutiny of all. It almost sounds like where we are today, doesn't it? Doesn't it? So Joe Biden has created a nightmare in Afghanistan, rolled back the clock to the time before September 10th, 2001, with some differences. There are now 5,000 battle-hardened angry terrorists that have just been released from jail. And rather than have to use box cutters as the 19 hijackers did, these folks now have tens of billions of dollars of high-tech American military equipment, including night vision and, and weaponry. It used to be said that we as the military and the Border Patrol owned the night because we had night vision and their adversaries didn't. Well, guess what? The adversaries have it now. And I'm sure that all of that equipment has made its way to China, Iran, Russia, so they can reverse engineer what we have and they can produce it uh, in great abundance for the people that want to kill us. I, I sometimes think that Joe Biden should register as an agent of Iran. 
I'm going to read to you something that appears in my article, and I hope after the program you'll read the article, and please forward it to as many people as you can. Seriously, this is important. This isn't just Mike Cutler spewing his ideas. <clears throat> but what I mentioned in my article is that um, on April 17, 2018, the House Committee on Homeland Security Counterterrorism and Intelligence Subcommittee conducted a hearing on the topic, the state sponsors of terrorism and examination of Iran's global terrorism network. Now, when you think of Iran and Hezbollah, you think Middle East, I'm sure, folks, right? Well, let me read this quote from that hearing. So here we go. The prepared testimony of one of the witnesses, Dr. Emmanuel Odolenghi of the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, included this alarming excerpt. These are his words now. And nobody at the hearing contradicted him. Sometimes the hearings other witnesses will contradict you. I know, I've been there. This isn't something I read about. But listen to what he said. In recent years, Hezbollah's Latin American networks have also increasingly cooperated with violent drug cartels and criminal syndicates, often with the assistance of local corrupt political elites. This toxic crime terror nexus, so, folks, when he talks about the crime terror nexus, he's talking about Hezbollah working with human traffickers and drug smugglers throughout Latin America. Not Middle East, Latin America. This toxic crime terror nexus is fueling both the rising threat of global jihadism and the collapse of law and order across Latin America that is helping to drive drugs and people northward into the United States. So let me stop and, and, and I'll make a point and then I'll finish off what he said. And these, this is the statement that keeps me at night wide awake staring at the ceiling. When we see these caravans, everyone's saying, is it Soros? Is it this one? Is it that one? Folks, this could be Iran behind this. Let that sink in. The same Iran that is working to perfect nuclear weapons right now. Think about that. Who's behind the caravans? Who's funding it? Well, so let me go back and read this again. This toxic crime terror nexus is fueling both the rising threat of global jihadism and the collapse of law and order across Latin America that is helping to drive drugs and people northward into the United States. Think of that every time you see the caravans. It is sustaining Hezbollah's growing financial needs. It is helping Iran and Hezbollah consolidate a local constituency in multiple countries across Latin America. It is thus facilitating their efforts to build safe havens for terrorists and a continent-wide terror infrastructure that they could use to strike U.S. targets. Wow. Does that not take your breath away? So what they're saying is the smuggling of people and the smuggling of drugs into the United States creates this huge sum of cash, the money being paid by the smuggled aliens and the drug trade. And who's receiving the money? Hezbollah, a terrorist organization that works closely with ISIS and al-Qaeda. And I can tell you that there are also terror training camps in the tri-border region of Brazil. And you have Biden bringing in tens of thousands of Afghanis who can't be screened. And when they say, well, we're going to run their names, go back to what I said. You have people coming into the country. They may be lying about their identities. They may not have documents. They may have counterfeit documents. In fact, there's another paragraph in, in my same article. I want you to read the whole article. To page 61 of that, <clears throat> that, that, uh, uh, of that report, 9-11 and terrorist travel, page 61, has this little passage, exploring the link between human smugglers and terrorists. In July 2001, the CIA warned of a possible link between human smugglers and terrorist groups, including Hamas, Hezbollah, and the Egyptian Islamic Jihad. Indeed, there is evidence to suggest that since 1999, Human smugglers have facilitated the travel of terrorists associated with more than a dozen extremist groups. With their global reach and connections to fraudulent document vendors and corrupt government officials, human smugglers clearly have the quote-unquote credentials necessary to aid terrorist travel. What is the point to these hearings and all these reports if the President of the United States blithely ignores all of it, and Alejandro Mayorkas, the guy running DHS, was investigated by the Office of Inspector General back during the Obama administration when he headed up Citizenship and Immigration Services, because the people who work there 
complained that he was forcing them to approve applications for visas that never should have been approved, including visas, the EB-5 treaty investor visas that were known to have been used by Iranian terrorists and pornography rings and criminal organizations. So OIG, the Office of Inspector General, Internal Affairs, if you will, did a thorough investigation and found that in point of fact, he was responsible for malfeasance. Can you picture that? So Mayorkas, the guy that was found responsible for malfeasance, was actually uh, responsible for malfeasance conduct. Is that not a terrifying prospect? Because he's the guy who's now going to be um, screening the applications that are being filed for the people that want to enter the United States. He's now in charge of the vetting process. Can you imagine that? This is where we are. So when I tell you that I believe that America has never been at a greater risk for a terror attack, I'm not just you know, spewing nonsense out of my left ear. If you connect the dots, and we heard so much about connecting dots after 9-11, connect the dots. We've released 5,000 terrorists in Afghanistan. Afghanistan is now a base of operations for the Taliban, for ISIS, for al-Qaeda. Hezbollah is working throughout Latin America to move people and drugs into the United States, including sleeper agents. And we have no idea who we're letting into the country. And beyond the people that we're letting in, how many people are entering the United States that are sneaking past the Border Patrol because they've been eviscerated, the so-called getaways? We have no idea how many of them there are or who they are or where they're from or what their goals are. It's kind of like the Calais deception during the Second World War where General Eisenhower convinced the Nazis that we were coming in through Calais rather than Normandy, and they put General Patton in charge of a phantom army that consisted mostly of inflatable tanks and trucks that from the air looked like the real thing, so the Germans had to divide their resources, because if the Germans had massed their forces along Normandy, we wouldn't have succeeded. So basically, we have the Calais deception happening along the Mexican border because of what the Border Patrol was involved with, and we only know about Del Rio, Texas. That's a 2,000-mile border. I'm sure that more stuff is happening elsewhere, but just people aren't aware of it, perhaps. And we still have a Canadian border. And we still have <clears throat> 95,000 miles of coastline. And we still have aliens coming in through ports of entry who perhaps shouldn't have been given visas, but under the open-door poli- open policies of Biden are getting visas. And perhaps no one's being challenged by the inspectors of ports of entry to determine if they should be admitted. A visa is not a guarantee of admission. It's only a ticket that gets you to see the inspector. I know because I was an inspector for four years. I did that job. It's not that I read about it. I did it. A visa is not a guarantee of admission. We are in a very dangerous position that is unprecedented, in my judgment, in the history of the United States, and these are all self-inflicted wounds. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is where we now stand. So I am urging you to please sit down with your neighbors, share my articles, provide them with a link to this program and other programs. Have that conversation. Sit down with your elected representatives on all levels and make it clear to them that nothing less than national security and public safety are hanging in the balance. The shared mission of all of our branches of the armed forces is to keep America's enemies as far from our shores as possible. Up close and in person, however, that vital mission upon which our survival depends falls to the Border Patrol and ICE. And because of Mr. Biden, they are missing in action. We have become a borderless country. This is not sustainable. And this has the potential to cost many lives. Make those conversations uh, a requirement for your weekend activities. Feel free to share my materials with everyone you can, and please... Join me again next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. And never forget, pardon me, that democracy is not a spectator sport. Have a good weekend. Stay safe. Be well. See you next week.